chapter 6. You can turn there. And I, as you're turning there, a couple things um, I would like to say. My wife, I think, is in here, not the overflow room. Where are you, honey? Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and happy Mother's Day to all you, all of you here. So, so thankful. There's some, there's some gifts for you. Make sure that uh, you don't leave today without one of the... the beautiful roses provided to you by the Adams family this week. So those will be after the service back there. So as, a, as you're turning there, we're going to be in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. We're going to finish the book, Lord willing, today. That's why it's called the, the Conclusion. It's not up there just yet. It'll come up there shortly. It's called the Conclusion, the Conclusion of the book. And really there's two, there's two themes that we're going to hit, we're going to hit on here. Um, so I'll just say it right up front. Sometimes when you're uncomfortable about something, it's just better to get it out there. Um, I'm not real comfortable talking about money in church. I'm just not. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons. I've, I've heard in some surveys that this is the number one topic that most pastors are most uncomfortable talking about, and it's obvious for obvious reasons. I, I'm paid by you, the church, to serve here as your pastor, and uh, as well as Pastor Joe. And so uh, it's a little bit... It can seem self-serving to talk about money, and especially on a day when I know that we do have some visitors being Mother's Day. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of awkward. Some people say, all they ever do is talk about money. When I was a young pastor, one of the first times I ever preached, um, my senior pastor went out of town and he gave me a text in Peter that was on tithing and on money. And um, I got ripped apart as a young youth pastor that following week, and I didn't realize, I guess I was naive, just how precious people's money is to them and maybe how I communicated it. I wish you could record things back then. That was before recordings like this. So um, I don't remember what I said exactly, but um, that's not the point today. It's, um, it's such an important aspect to the life of, um, of individuals, of followers of Christ, and as a church. And so we are an expositive Bible preaching church. And when we come upon money, whether I'm comfortable or not, I will do my best to faithfully um, exposit our text today. So, all right, can I get that off my chest? Okay, we're just, I love you. I hopefully you, you do the same. So, <laughs> as we move forward. So, all right, um, let's, let's go ahead um, and let's read our text here. It is starting in verse 17, and it goes like this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Verse 20, O, o Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So here we go. These are the concluding remarks, and there's really two big themes that he wants to talk about as he wraps this book up, and so we know it must have been an important issue in the church. Verses 17 through 19, the first theme that we touch on, really are some of the, one of the best little mini- passage that deals with stewardship, deals with, with money and how to, how to care for it, warns of some of the abuses of that. And, and since all of our possessions as followers of Jesus really belong to God anyway, um, it's important for us to get the, the, the direction from Scripture on how to handle, uh, handle our, 
our, our wealth. Now, back in verses 9, you think, well, didn't we just talk about this? Thanks for paying attention. Verses 9 and 10, yes, we did talk about this. But there's a distinction between who Paul was talking about in verses 9 and 10 and who he's talking about now. You see, in, in 9 and 10, if you notice, he's talking to people who desire to become rich. He warns those that aren't rich about the dangers of this this reaching for and grasping for material wealth. He, and he basically says the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. So he's talking in that sense to a context of people that um, are maybe desirous of wealth. But, to, but here in this passage, as you notice, he's talking to those who are already rich, those who are already blessed with material wealth. So that's the difference, and, and most commentators believe that's why he separated these two topics. He wanted to make sure that they understood um, what's going on here. Now, most of you, if you're like me, you could think, well, verses 9 and 10 were for me because I ain't rich, so um, I can check out for verses 17 through 19. Um, actually, that's not the case. Now, uh, maybe if Warren Buffett or Jeff Bezos, or is it Be- Bozo Bezos, the Amazon guy, <laughs> And, um, and Bill Gates, whatever the case might be, they might not look at us and think that we're wealthy. But even if you were to take the lowest income in, in our church or in our county, the lowest income is still in the top 10% of overall wealth in the world. We are, 90% of the world is at a lower income level than our poorest of our poorest of our poor. And, and so really when we look at this passage, Truth be told, even if you feel like you don't have money flowing out of your your billfold or whatnot, we are rich. We are really, truly all rich. Not just monetarily, but but that's specifically what Paul's dealing with here. And so so he gives here just quickly four responsibilities or four commands to those that are rich. And the first one's pretty straightforward. The first one is to be humble. Um, in your wealth, be humble. Verse 17 says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. This is a, a, a present active imperative in the text, which basically means that he is telling them, he is saying this in a way, Timothy, you need to keep on instructing, keep on instructing the church about wealth. Keep on instructing those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. And, and he's, he's saying, don't just tell them once. You need to kind of continue to, to tell them this. Because Paul knows that materialism is very deceitful and it must be constantly warned about um, for the church. It's pretty easily to be caught up in materialism today. Actually, there was an article a number of years ago. Uh, some um, uh, troublemakers went to a Fred Meyers in Portland And as they went into this Fred Myers, they actually didn't steal anything or they didn't even really destroy anything. They just had a good old time. See, what they did was they went in and they switched a whole bunch of price tags all throughout the store. And so they went up and uh, they, they grabbed a pair of Oakley sunglasses and they changed the price on the Oakley sunglasses to $8. And then they went to a bucket of ice cream and put the ice cream up for $150. Uh, They went to a Traeger barbecue which is normally $800, and they marked it down to $5, and then they marked up a pair of pantyhose to $800. Uh, there was some umbrellas that were marked up to $1,000 in diamond ring, 
was marked down to $2. So, you know, they kind of went through and did all this, and obviously people caught it, but um, those, yeah, I, I don't even want to be what it must have been like for management in those times. This is before, you know, electronic barcodes, I guess. But anyway, with this, with this, um, has this happened in your life? I think it does happen pretty easily in, in a lot of our lives. Materialism creeps in and switches price tags. It creeps in and things of time become more value to us than things of eternity. Uh, material gifts become more important than spiritual gifts. It's just a natural tendency of living in a fallen world. We need the constant reminder that materialism is, is a danger to our faith, and we can get drawn and we can get sucked in, and the, the, the price tags on the things that we value can change. And Paul says to Timothy, make sure that doesn't happen in the church. Make sure that doesn't happen. Sometimes we can think of the early church as mostly comprised of just poor folk. Uh, but that's just, again, not the case. That's the context here that we see that those who are rich in this present age, these people within the church, the early church, who had, who had some, some substantial wealth. Now, um, we see the parable of the rich man and, and Lazarus was, was a case in point. How, how he did, the rich man, he feasted every day while the poor man had to beg at his door. But after his death, it was just the opposite. It was just the opposite. Abraham told the rich man, during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. You sought after it. You got it. You had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. Some people will say that actually, well, then it's a virtue to be, be poor. Well, that's not what the text is teaching. A person can be both rich in this age as well as in the age to come. And what Paul is trying to point out here is that the rich are usually, in this context, in the Greek culture, um, rich were taught, it was, it was something ingrained into them, that they, um, if you were of, of greater wealth, then that meant that you had the favor of the gods, and so being that you have favor from the gods, you would look down upon anybody who had less wealth. That was the cultural value. If you're wealthy, you're in a different stratosphere, in a different class, and you're to look down at other people. But that's not at all what he is saying here. He's saying let those who are rich in this world not let that richness go to their heads. Let them be humble. Because when, when wealth, when it makes a person proud, what it ends up doing is it, it, it leads them to a place where they no longer understand even who they are themselves, nor their wealth. So Deuteronomy 8, it's a great passage, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, and it says this, Do not say in your heart, my power and my strength of my hand made me this wealth, but you shall remember that the Lord your God, it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. So possessions of wealth... They really, they, they should humble us, humble a person, motivate them to praise and to glorify God. But if he becomes conceited because of his wealth, he's, he's clearly using um, a false standard of measurement. He's measuring himself falsely. This little boy came running to his mom, and he said, Mom, I'm, I'm, I'm nine feet tall, Mom. And so the, the mom said, oh, don't talk such nonsense. He goes, no, Mom, I really, I, I measured myself. I'm nine feet tall. And so... The mom said, well, well, how did you measure him yourself? And so he said, well, I, I, I sat down on the ground, and I took a chalk mark, and I marked at the end of my feet, and then I laid back further, and I marked the top of my head, and then I got out, and I walked. And I measured myself, <laughs> and I was nine feet tall. I was nine feet tall. 
So the mother replied, ah, now I understand. But I have to tell you that your, your measure was not the right one. We don't measure ourselves by the size of our feet, but we measure ourselves with a 12-inch ruler. Paul, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, those who measure themselves by themselves are without understanding. And a lot of people are like this little boy, especially when it comes to issues of wealth. They're proud of something about which, really, which they have no glory. They're proud about something which they really did not generate them themselves. And, and this is just something important to understand in the context here is that there are people, and I hope I don't offend you too much here, but there are people out there that work a whole lot harder than you do and make a whole lot less money. There are people out there that have a whole lot more skill than you do, or me, and make a whole lot less money. The Lord knows this. And so when we make our, when we think because we have this wealth, whether it's wealth because we're an American or whether it's wealth because we, we've done well, and whatever the case might be, and we, we let that bring glory to us and not glory to the Lord, it really, it really shows that we're not measuring ourselves by the Lord's standards. We're not measuring ourselves by the word of God. We're measuring ourselves by some other form of measuring tape. Really, the only pride as followers of Jesus that we're to have is the pride of grace, the, the marvelous grace of Jesus. That is, that is what we are to make, the most, make us the most proud of. The next time that we're tempted to be proud, we just pretty much have to ask ourselves the question, what am I proud of? What am I really proud of? Since it's God who gives us the power to produce wealth, really, it's, he's the one that gave it to us. Um, what do I have to be proud of? What's the basis for my pride? So be humble, he says, as it relates to money. Be, be humble. Walk humbly. Secondly, secondly, he says, set your hope in God and not in gold. Set your hope in God. This is really the, the key here. We aren't to set our hope in the uncertainties of riches. Remember the rich farmer? The rich farmer that Jesus mentioned in the parable in Luke chapter 12. He said to himself, the rich farmer, you have much goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. See, he thought his, his, his wealth equaled some form of security. I think a lot of us do. You know, we, we know these truths, but really when we sit down in the quietness of our own heart, we think about our financial situation and how insecure it is, and it causes a great deal of anxiety. I know I'm tempted in that way. Uh, and, and that's what this, this farmer was doing. He put his trust in what he had accumulated or what he hadn't accumulated. He set his hope on that, and God declared him a fool because of it. Christ says, beware. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Yet we so often put our trust in possessions. We put our trust in things that we're able to put together with our own energies. And um, it can be pretty devastating when those possessions are ripped from our grip, when they're taken away. So the question for us is, where is your hope set? Is your hope set in the Lord, or is it set in your own possessions? So that's the question. Why not trust riches? Well, it gives us some indicators within scripture because riches are so uncertain <laughs> they're just uncertain proverbs 23 5 says when you set your eyes on it riches it's gone for wealth i love this for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that fly towards the heavens 
Life itself is very uncertain, we can, and, and wealth we cannot possess, obviously, after death. So there's a, a fairy tale that came to a man, and this fairy tale went to him and said, I'll give you one wish. What, what, what would you like? And so he thought about it for a minute, and he goes, I want a newspaper a year from today. See, he just invested a bunch of stocks, and he wanted to know where they turned out. So he gets this newspaper, boom, in his hand. He looks at the newspaper. He opens the newspaper up. He goes quickly to his stocks, and he's like, yeah, sweet. I'm worth 15 million bucks. And then he throws the paper down. He's kind of doing his happy dance or whatever, and, and, um, but the paper flopped open to the obituaries. <laughs> and his face fell, and he says, I just died two days ago. Uh, <laughs> That kind of thing. The uncertainty of life makes riches uncertain. So riches are uncertain. But also, uh, riches are uncertain because they constantly change in value. They constantly change in value with the shifting circumstances of life. Jesus said it. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where uh, thieves can break in and steal. That's in Matthew 6, 19. See, riches, they can be lost, they can be stolen, there can be a fire, there can be a, a bank run. I mean, it's just horrific. I know that some of you were affected by some of the, the, the scamming of Bernie Madoff, even in some of your retirement accounts. Uh, market crashes, inflation, all of these things can come after wealth and, and, and eat it away. We just simply cannot, and this is what Paul is telling Tim, we just cannot trust in anything, especially riches, but anything except for the Lord alone, because he is really, truly the only one that never changes. We talked about him not changing, him being immortal last week, but it's true in this context, too. So be humble, um, be humble, trust in the Lord, set your hope in him, not in riches. And then thirdly, Paul tells Timothy regarding money, enjoy, enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy what God has given you. Says this, for God, he richly provides, he richly provides all things for your enjoyment. We know that the scripture teaches that he owns a cattle on a, excuse me, a cattle on a thousand hills. Psalms 50 says, all the gold and silver is mine, declares the Lord. But this is what's awesome about our Lord. He's not only rich, He's not only rich, but he gives to us according to his riches. That's what's cool about the fact that God is rich. He gives out of his riches. He gives according to his riches. Listen to Ephesians 1. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, our trespass, according to the riches of his grace, which he has poured on, lavished upon, given to us he doesn't just give from his riches but he gives according to his riches and that's super encouraging just super encouraging he lavishes his gifts upon us paul reminds us in second corinthians he says this god is able god is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have abundance for every good deed Legend has it that a, a, certain, a certain country was in search of a new king. So they sent off two ambassadors to a, a village far off, and they found two little fellers asleep. And as they looked at these two young children, one was laying there on his back with his fists gripped tightly, and the other laid there asleep with his 
hands wide open. It was the second one that was, was chosen. And, and this, this great king was known for his generosity as he grew and he became known as the king, the king with the open hand. What's great about our God is we have a God with an open hand. We have a God with an open hand and we have a savior who also opened his hand. He opened his hand so, so spikes could go through it. So his blood would be poured for the forgiveness of our sin. Romans 8.32 said, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not with him also freely give us all things? How shall he not with him also give us all things? And with this, with this, God has given us the ability to enjoy. The ability to enjoy. Many of us know the passage in John 10.10, which basically says that he came that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. It's not just talking about material wealth, but it's not talking not at all about material wealth either. It's talking about the whole package. God wants us to enjoy the life that he has given. He wants us to enjoy the life that he has given, not merely just to exist. And this, again, um, physical pleasure in itself, material pleasure in itself isn't sinful when it's sought within the structure of how God has given it and it's used in pursuit of his glory. This is what the psalmist was getting at when he said, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence. In your presence is the fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. And then Psalms 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I I really do believe in, in the history of the church, Go back to some of the early letters, 1 John, for example, with, with Gnosticism. One of, the, one of the things that they believed was that unless you lived an aesthetic lifestyle, unless you basically looked at everything physical and saw everything physical as evil, then you couldn't be close to God. You Pretty much anything that was pleasurable in life was not okay. That was called a false doctrine. So the idea that we can't enjoy the things that the Lord has given us physical, material, certainly spiritual, is, is a, a false lie, that, or is a lie that comes from, from Satan. So there's a, a little girl that became a Christian at church, super excited, and she's dancing around, she's bouncing around at home, and, and um, that afternoon she ran into the house singing and dancing, and her sour grandfather rebuked her, and he said this, he said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, you just joined the church today, and here you are singing and dancing on the Lord's Day. Crushed by this words from her grandfather, the little girl went outside to the barn. She climbed up on the corral fence and observed an old mule standing there with a sad, droopy face and bleary eyes. And she reached over, and she patted the mule sympathetically, and she said, Dad, don't cry, old mule. I guess you've just got that same kind of religion that Grandpa has. <laughs> Yeah, as followers of Jesus, we are not, we are not, um, we are not baptized in lemon juice. You know, we we have uh, such richness to enjoy, such blessedness. We talked last week about being blessed. We are blessed in so many different ways. Um, just being able to come into worship, to be moving into uh, a new building at some point in the future. But more than that, we're blessed because we are we are joined through the blood of Christ and through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, we're joined with the God who is the blessed one. 
That is the true blessing. That is the, that is the joy that comes from us. So be humble. Be humble. Uh, put your hope in God. Enjoy the things that God has given. Fourthly, invest. Invest what God has given. Verses 18 and 19, Paul is both positive and he's practical. First, we are to do good. Let's read. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So there's a few things we want to point out here. First is um, to be rich in good works. That's crucial. To be rich in good works. We must, as followers of Jesus, because God has so richly blessed us, With all of these blessings, we must be people that see and reach out and help and share in the needs and the hurts of other people. This is why our our mission statement as a church is to reach with the gospel, those that are near to us but are far from Christ. That's our goal. We want to to love this this area that we live in with the gospel. And we want through um, the support of and sometimes the visiting of our missionaries to do this also around the world. We want to be rich in good works, really focusing less on ourselves, maybe even spending less on ourselves in time and in treasure and in money and all of those things and and seeking those out that are in great need so there's this aspect of of that of being rich in good works but secondly there's our responsibility just to be generous and to share to be generous and to share now throughout the pages of the bible um, it speaks about giving and about a tithe and and um and so with this, the pattern has been, in the Old Testament, started with 10%. That was what was required by the law, to give 10%. We're freed from that, that obligation and that law in the New Testament. And yet still that, that idea of a, a generous giving spirit is there. It's never done out of guilt. It's never done out of arm twisting. It's always done out of you sincerely going before the Lord and asking the Lord to to help you determine in your own heart what it is that you're to give. This is not just a one-time thing. This is a regular pattern of your life. And so for many of us, that pattern is put on a percentage that we do faithfully budgetarily um, because that's how we, we run our finances at church, and that's how most people run their finances at home. And so that is an important part of Christian discipleship. Uh, because if it's not ever proportioned, if it's never thought about, if it's not something you've sat down and really thought sought the lord with and it guess what it's just not going to happen because because materialism can come in and, and take over so whatever that percentage is and and whatever that amount is it is it is going to be important we are going to be in a few weeks um we're going to be instilling something that we haven't done in a long time and and the elders and i we've talked about this but we've had people coming to us saying we would really like it if we would pass the the um the, the bags during our service. Uh, we have our, our offering boxes in the back of the church on both a, a VIP room as well as in here. Those are going to stay there, but there, there's been some that have come, not just a few, but some that have come and said, hey, um, giving is just it's such a, an integral part of my worship, and I would like it to be incorporated in with our worship giving um, and, and my our worship experience. So that's something, just to let you all know, that's something that we'll be reinstituting. It's never been done since I've been here. I don't know how long ago it stopped, but it is something, I'm just telling you ahead of time so you'll know what that is. But we just, it's such a valuable part of um, our worship experience is to, is to be able to say, Lord, 
you have blessed, and Lord, um, I, want to, I want to be faithful in my, my giving. And I can tell you what, a number, actually many of you, um, can attest to the fact that when you've chosen to be faithful with your giving to the Lord, um, both in your tithe, but also I know it's done privately in many cases. You think it's private, but then someone comes to me and says, boy, someone really blessed me. I'm like, you're not supposed to tell me that. But anyway, um, whether the case is, when, whenever we do this, boy, it's, it's awesome to see the testimonies and hear how God, God honors that. So, so giving generous, being ready to share. Um, so I think that's, I think that's, well, I came across one stat that was pretty interesting. It, it basically said that if, if all of American Christians that are in churches, if they were to, if they were to um, lose their jobs collectively all at one time, um, then and go on welfare. All of the Christians were to go on welfare. They went on welfare, and then out of their welfare, if they all gave 10% of their income, giving in churches would go up by 30%. You know, so um, that's a pretty that's a pretty telling statistic. It's a telling statistic. But again, we're not arm not arm. I'm very thankful for the graciousness of our church. Um, all right, so let's let's move on. When we we take these. We take these truths that he's laid out. When we're humble, when we, we set our hope on the Lord and trust not in, in riches, um, when we invest, when we do these things that Paul's talking about, he says that there's two things that, that really are taking place when that happens. And the first one we see in verse 19, it says, By doing this, they will be storing up treasure um, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of real life. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust or thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's a great assurance, a great assurance that when we're faithful with the riches that we have, that we're really laying up treasure in heaven. And then also what it helps us do is it helps us to take hold of what really matters in life. To take hold of what is true. The witness is this. That God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. When we set our hope on the future, when, when we honor things with all of, all of the areas of our life, then what we're doing is we're saying, you know, this is, this is what I'm grasping onto. I'm grasping onto what really matters in life. And how often, according to this, the rich are fooled with, with tempor- temporal pleasures of this world. Fifthly, fifthly, this is where we jump into the, the section. It's where it's a break from the, the financial side of things, which thank you, you all did great there. Um, you can send me emails this week, but just be gentle. Um, and then, and then um, now we go kind of to this, this final closing word where, where Paul tells Timothy to protect, to guard, to defend what God has given. Oh, Timothy, very endearing term, very fatherly way of speaking. Oh, Timothy, guard. He kind of is still using this financial language, but he's talking about something spiritual, intangible. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace. Grace be with you. This word here, guard, fluzo is the word, and it's simple. It, it basically means you take something valuable and you place it in a locked or safe spot. 
You take something valuable and you lock it away. You deposit it somewhere safe. And what is the, what is the, the deposit that's been entrusted to him that he is called to guard, to protect, to look after carefully, to keep safe? We've seen it in this entire book. Guard against false teaching. Guard against a lot of different areas. But he gives two kind of closing issues, and we can just assume, and we know this from reading this entire book, that these were two very big issues in this particular church in Ephesus. Irreverent babble, pointless talk, vain talk, argumentativeness that is rising up in the church. Some of that came because there was leadership struggles. Some of it came because, and most of it came because there was false teaching. But when you see this irreverent speech, this irreverent talk, and we live in the culture that is just all about glorifying irreverentness, if that's a word. We live in that world, and it's so easy to seep into our own vocabulary. And Paul tells Timothy, warn against this, guard against this. Don't let that take place. Because what that does, and in 2 Timothy we'll chapter 2, verse 16, it says that just is going to lead to arguments that only ungodliness will be produced from. So guard against irreverent babble. It's always good to keep a close monitor on the things in which we say. And then two, the second thing, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Falsely called knowledge. In a day and an age where there are speech 101 classes and when there's Toastmasters and when there's um, an ability to see anybody at any place anywhere in the world and you get to hear, you get to hear people that are gifted teachers and speakers when you get to hear them, like Gavin is going to be one day. <laughs> when you get to hear them and see them with that, it's easy to get sucked in to pseudo-knowledge, false knowledge. And this kind of thing pulls people away a lot in churches. They get this idea of the way church is supposed to be. They major on the minor things of Scripture. They, they, they create all of these different rules. And what it ends up doing is it divides the church. People get their eyes off of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and instead they're worried about what we see in Galatians and what we see in Colossians. They're worried about new moon festivals. They're worried about how to observe certain things and certain feasts, and they make their faith so complicated. And instead, they, they puff themselves up with all of this knowledge, and it drives people away. It causes splits and divisions. So, so guard against this. This is important to guard against these things. Never lose the fidelity to the truth, which is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So guard against these things. So as we go, just I guess just some of the takeaway just would be in these, these two parts. Just do an inventory of, in your own heart between you and the Lord. If you're married with your spouse as it relates to, as it relates to your, your stewardship of your finances. Um, and maybe, maybe there's a, something that needs to be tweaked there. But also, also do an inventory of your heart as it relates to, as it relates to issues that are, are most precious, most valuable, what should be most important to us, and that's our faith in Christ Jesus. Not allowing that faith to be, uh, to be polluted in any such way, because what Paul was telling Timothy to instruct the church, we can say is instruction for us as well. And we live in a day and an age where the truth that is found in God's word is under a constant every day attack 
and we must guard against it because it is pure and it is true and it's what most it's what everyone needs um, even though it's what no one seems to seek after but by the leading of the Holy Spirit. 